Guys, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the Psalms, to Psalm chapter 16. It's where we're going to take our lesson from today. And I'll go ahead and tell you the title right up front, Eternal Security. We're not speaking about the doctrine of eternal security. I sort of have a a postscript, a secondary title. We could call this the Preservation of the saints, the preservation of the saints. Just a little side point, if any of you guys are, um, if you like to listen to good sound preaching, uh, one of my favorites, I know that many of you probably enjoy the preaching of of Dr. John Piper. Well, recently um, there was a video clip that was making the rounds on social media and different platforms Uh, where he was preaching, and all of a sudden his watch started alerting him that he had fallen. Have have any of you seen that? He's he's preaching, and if you know Dr. Dr. Piper, he's he's very animated. He moves his arms around a lot. And in the middle of his sermon, he said, Oh, shut up, Apple, because his watch was telling him that he had taken a hard fall because of how active he was being in the pulpit. Well, this was, I didn't realize this until last night, this was the passage of Scripture that he was preaching when that, that took place recently. Um, whenever I uh, study a passage and prepare to preach it, one of the last things I do, other than prayer, is I go to YouTube and I listen to other faithful preachers exposit the same. I do it after because I don't want it to influence and affect my outline and my teaching. Uh, but last night I sat down and I listened to about a 50-minute sermon on Psalm 16 from Dr. Piper, and what a blessing that was. I'm not going to preach for 50 minutes today. I promise you that. But let's jump into the reading of the Word of God. I have a friend that likes to say this is the best part of the worship service, when we read God's Word together. So let's begin Psalm 16, verse 1. The heading in my Bible, it may be the same in yours, is that you will not abandon my soul. A miktam of David. And another side note, we don't really know what a miktam is. It's just something that is there. He writes, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night, also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. 
At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. May God add a blessing to the reading of Scripture. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our Lord stands forever. Would you pray with me? Lord, as a psalmist began this, this chapter in Psalm 16, he said, Preserve me, O God. For in you I take refuge. A cry for help. And so Lord, as we approach your word today, and as we seek to study it and apply it, we cry out to you, God, help us. For many of us, I can say this about myself this morning, our minds are a mess. We're weighed down by the problems of life, the burdens that we're carrying the suffering that we're enduring. And it's hard sometimes to focus on what God has for us in this moment. Lord, help us. We collectively say, as the psalmist said, You are our Lord. We submit to You in all things this morning, God our Father. Help us to see Christ in this Word. Help us to see application in this Word. Lord, grant that You would be our chosen portion, our cup, our beautiful inheritance, our counselor. Make our hearts glad. It is in the name of Christ we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Have you ever been a place in your life where you felt abandoned? You felt like you had been left all to yourself. People had walked away from you. They had left you to your own devices. They turned their back on you. It happens in life. It happens frequently. I used to watch this TV show. It's no longer on. It was years ago when it was in production. It was called Abandoned. It featured this guy. He was one of these extreme sports guys, skateboarding, and he, he was into X Games and he would travel from spot to spot to see places and to investigate places that had been abandoned. I remember him going to a fishing village in Newfoundland and seeing the factories that had been walked away from, completely abandoned, and how nature began to reclaim. I remember him going to an area in California, maybe you've heard of a resort town there called the Salton Sea. Well, the Salton Sea has been completely abandoned. It's now a, a destitute, barren wasteland. I watched an episode where he went to our very own North Wilkesboro Speedway here in North Carolina. That's been in the news a lot recently because it's been resurrected. People have been comparing that facility to the biblical story of Lazarus because it sat empty for nearly 30 years. And it just began to decay very quickly after it was walked away from, after it was abandoned. I was always fascinated by that show. I, I loved to watch it. I loved to see the effects that would take place after something was completely walked away from. And what was so interesting to me was how nature, almost overnight, began to reclaim. It began to break it down to leave it devoid of any life or any semblance of life. You say, why are you talking about that as we're approaching a psalm that says you 
you will not abandon my soul. Because the truth is, many of us oftentimes, we do get abandoned. We do feel abandoned. We feel like we've been left on our own. But this psalm, brothers and sisters, is what many commentators refer to as a psalm of confidence. There are different types of psalms. There are psalms of lament. There are many of those. Really, the the first 10 to 14 chapters of the book of Psalms are, are just that. They're laments. David, the psalmist, the community, crying out to God on their behalf because they're suffering, because they're going through, so to speak. But this is different. A psalm where David stakes a claim. He says, this is my inheritance. This is my, this is mine. Christ is mine. It's a confident tone. Expectant attitude. He begins that way in verse 1. He says, preserve me, O God. We would all do well to stop even in this moment. Say, preserve me, O God. Because the truth is, we can't do it on our own. We need His preserving grace in our lives. And so David begins that way, Hold on to me, God. Cling tightly. Don't let me go. And he moves on to reflect on what he had come to know about the Lord and how this knowledge has comforted him throughout throughout his leadership, throughout his his kingship. In his exposition of the Psalms, H.C. Leupold He writes this, he says, There is perhaps no statement of prophet or poet that more beautifully and consistently traces down to its final consequences what it means when a man commits himself fully into the hands of God and abides in Him. That's our goal today. That's what we want to see in this text of Scripture. So here's my big idea. Here's the truth that we're seeking to unpack from David's statements. God will bring you, body and soul, through life and death, to full and everlasting joy as you trust in His attributes and as you abide in Him. That is a promise from the Word of God. David makes... A lot of statements here, but there's four that I want to zero in on. And leave your Bibles open. We're going to go verse by verse, line by line. But the four things that I see David saying are, God is my safe refuge. God is my sovereign Lord. God is my supreme treasure. And God is my source of wisdom. Let's look at that first one together. My safe refuge. David says in verse 1, Preserve me, O God. For in you I take refuge. An invocation to the Lord. Calling on His name. But also a plea for help. Lord, I need you. I cannot do it on my own. And we don't know what David is facing here. In many of the Psalms, we have some contextual things that we can dig into. We know what was going on in his life. There's a Psalm that he wrote after after his ordeal with Absalom. There are various psalms that he wrote after battles, after specific events. And sometimes we know, oftentimes we don't, this one we don't really know. But crisis obviously is present in some way, form or fashion. 
maybe not an imminent threat. It seems to me as I read this that, that there's not really an attack he's facing right in front of him, but maybe he's just reflecting back on the times that God preserved him. He's thinking back to the times where God saved him in battle, where God saved him from himself. God's preserving grace in his life. Here in verse 1, this line it sort of indicates that a crisis could be present. Maybe there's one around the corner, but I think the most important takeaway that we need from verse 1 is that security begins when we ask God for it. Security begins when we seek it in God. Not in ourselves, not in our finances, not in our abilities, but in Him and in Him alone. And that's when confidence follows. When we trust God to keep His covenant. And that's what it seems like David is doing here. He's reminding God, Lord, You made a covenant with me. Now preserve me. Keep Your Word. Hold on. Cling tightly to me. You, Lord, You are my safe refuge. In his book, Assured by God, Burke Parsons writes this, Our perseverance is a gift from God. In our salvation, God blesses us with assurance through His gift of perseverance, 2 Thessalonians 3 and 5. However, many Christians lack full assurance of their salvation because their understanding of assurance is founded on the constantly changing emotions of their hearts rather than on the eternal Word of God. Brothers and sisters, I'm just going to be as honest and as open and as real as I know how to be this morning. I've been here recently in what some people have referred to as one of those dark nights of the soul. A place where I have felt abandoned. A place where I felt like I had, that God had turned His back on me. A place where I began to fall into anxiety and depression and despair and, and the reality is, is, for that very reason, my understanding of my assurance was based in my own changing emotions. I was looking too hard at my circumstances, on what was going on around me, and I wasn't trusting in the eternal Word of God. God forbid. God forgive me. I hope you can say today with David, Lord, You are my safe place. You are my refuge. You are my rock. He moves on to make another statement. He says, you're my sovereign Lord. Verse 2, the beginning part, it says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Now, depending on what version of the Bible, what translation you're using, it could look different in yours. It may not. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and my Bible actually breaks it down this way. Two different words are used here. David says, I say to the Lord, and then he goes on to say, you are my Lord. Now, in your Bible, that first Lord may be in all caps. It may be bold. It may be bigger. The reason for that is the word that David is using as he's pinning this psalm is Yahweh. I say to Yahweh. He is using God's covenant name. He's reminding God of who He is as if God needs a reminder. He uses that word Yahweh. Then He says, you are my Lord. 
He uses a different word, Adonai. And that word means Lord, but it, it means it in a different way. It's not the covenant name of God. It's a word that basically means my master. It's a personal word, my Lord. You are the Lord of of all things. You are sovereign creator. But Lord, I am confessing to you as I write this that you are my Adonai. You are my Lord. In essence, he's saying you're not just the Lord. You're my personal Lord. He exalts in God's sovereign rule over his life. David is saying my life is in your hands, God. We don't always like what that looks like. Bad things happen, don't they? Death and decay, disease, frustration, financial problems, they happen. But David is realizing here something that we would do well to realize this morning. God is sovereign over all things. God is sovereign over the good things in our lives. He is sovereign over the bad things in our lives. And I used to have a pastor. It was actually one of those Methodist pastors. But he got some things right once in a while. And one thing that he used to say is, God makes good things come out of bad things. God makes good things come out of bad things. Recognize His sovereign rule over you this morning. Can you say with King David, Yahweh, you are my Adonai. Personal Lord, my Master. Third statement that I see in the text, in the second part of verse 2, he says, you're my supreme treasure. He says, I have no good apart from you. Here David gives us three evidences of the security that we possess in Christ. I have no good apart from You, Lord. Everything good in my life comes from You. Now, there are good things in the world. Thank God for Eastern North Carolina barbecue. Man, I love it. Thank God for... for I love baseball. That's one of my favorite things. It's one of my favorite pastimes. I love to go home in the afternoons on Sunday especially and watch baseball. Sometimes NASCAR. Those are things that I enjoy. Those are good things. Common grace. Things that God has bestowed on His creation that that all can enjoy. But here's the reality. You cannot know good apart from God because God is goodness. You can enjoy some of His blessings, not recognize Him and and not give Him glory for it, but you cannot know true good apart from God. And that's what David says. I have no good apart from you. There's nothing good in my life. Yes, there's some good things. He's, he's being hyperbolic. Lord, you are my supreme good. And here's what flows from that. Here are some of the good things that he mentions that give us evidence of the security that we have in Christ. Firstly, love for the Lord. Right there in his statement, I have no good apart from you. My good, my well-being, it does not lie outside of you. It is not beyond you. You are all the good that I need. How do we keep ourselves from wallowing in a pit of despair, of despondency? We look at our good God instead of our problems around us. We focus on a God who is sovereign over all things, realizing that He is using it for our good, and for His glory. You're all the good I need. I was reminded of that great hymn by Charles Wesley. 
Thou, O Christ, art all I want. May that be the cry of our hearts today, just as it was in David's words. Have no good apart from you. He's literally saying, and you see it there in the text, the Lord is my share. The Lord is my portion. Go back to a few generations before David. And the people of God finally arrived in the promised land. And what happens? God begins to divvy up the land into tracts. There were 12 tribes, right? And each tribe was given a certain allotment of the land except for one. One tribe was not granted a portion of the land. Do you know what tribe that was? It was the priesthood. It was the Levites. And the reason that God gave is you don't need land. You don't need an inheritance. You don't need something physical because you have access to my presence. I am your portion. I am your inheritance. And David is hearkening back to that. Lord, I don't need all the stuff. I don't need all the things. I don't need the land. You are my inheritance. You are my portion. He mentions the Lord being His lot. We don't use that word much anymore. The idea there is our, our analogy would be drawing straws. And an inheritance oftentimes, that's how it was handled. It wasn't based on birthright or anything like that. Many times an inheritance came by lot. Whoever drew the short straw got the short inheritance. David is saying there ain't no short straw. Lord, you are my portion. You are my inheritance. You hold my lot. You are the lot of my life. Say that the Lord is my cup. Say that He holds my lot is to affirm that He is the controlling authority whether we find ourselves in sorrow or whether we find ourselves in joy. He is sovereign. Psalm 73 Verse 25 and 26, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Love for the Lord is an evidence of the security that we possess in Christ, but also love for God's people. Verse 3, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Who are these saints that he speaks of? God's elect, God's covenant community. And the idea for us there, the application, is that we are being reminded of the importance of the community of the saints. Are you in consistent fellowship with God's people? Is set apart, is called out people. Look, this culture hates us. They despise what we're doing this morning. And you cannot live in this covenant community by yourself. You will flounder. You will fail. You will be pulled away. You need the body of Christ to stand firm in your faith. That's what David is reminding us here. We need one another. I need your saints. I need your covenant community. You and I will need them in times of crisis as well.
spiritual support system. Love for God's people. Final evidence that he gives us of the security that we possess in Christ is love for God's truth. Verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. He refuses devotion to other gods. I will not pour out or take their name on my lips, he says. He delights in the Lord's teaching, the Lord's counsel. In just a few verses, in verse 7, he'll mention that counsel and the instruction that comes from God. He mentions in verse 8 that he set the Lord before him, that he seeks to make the Lord the constant goal of his life. Why? Because again, God is his supreme treasure. If you have your Bibles open still, turn just a few pages to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. We're going to start reading in verse 3. Just a couple of verses here. It says this, Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. He will act. God was His supreme treasure, the goal of His life. There's a song that we sing at Pine View. Maybe you guys know it. It's, it's a song by Keith and Kristen Getty. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone. Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls to Him belong? It goes on to say, Who holds our days within His hand? What comes apart from His command? And what will keep us till the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. Can you sing that today? Do you know Him as David did, as the supreme treasure of his soul. No good apart from you, Lord. There's nothing else I need. You. David summarizes all that he's just stated in verses 5 and 6. The Lord is my chosen portion, my cup. You hold my lot. Lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Fourth statement that David makes from this text, as I see it, comes in verse 7. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. David says, you're my source of wisdom, God. He mentions counsel. Lord, you counsel me. By day, you you lead me. Your Spirit guides me. It informs me. It enables me to live wisely. He mentions instruction, that God instructs him at night through meditation. As he reflects, as he prays, as he reflects on the Word of God and his communion with God, a, a picture of reflection, of reflective prayer. Sometimes when, when I pray, I don't know about you, but sometimes I just have to shut up and listen. And now, hold on now, I'm not a charismatic anymore. God doesn't speak to me audibly. Sometimes I just need to listen. 
I need to get my Bible out and I need to go back and I need to be reminded of God's promises and reflect on that and meditate on that and that will inform you, that will enable you to live wisely. Instruction. The word that he uses in Psalm 16 when he says, in the night also my heart instructs me. It's literally kidneys. It's not heart. The kidneys were seen by the Jewish people as the, the seat, the core of a man. Not, not the heart, the kidneys. That's why you'll see the word bowels sometimes in Scripture. Similar idea there. That was your core. It was the core of who you were. And David is saying, you're instructing me in my very core. You're informing me. You're leading me. You're guiding me in my kidneys. At the core of my being. We can't trust our heart. I guess we can't trust our kidneys either. You hear people say, well, follow your heart. No, no, don't. Don't follow your heart. There have been times where I have and it got me in trouble. There's been times where I wanted to and, and looking back now I can say, thank you, God. Thank you for keeping me. Thank you for informing me. Thank you for leading me in a different direction. Heart is deceptive. It's wicked, the Scriptures tell us. But a heart that is instructed by God. A heart that is informed by the Lord's words and by the Holy Spirit can have the assurance that you're in lockstep with your Father. We cannot trust our natural heart, but God has promised to renew the heart that we have, to turn our heart of stone into a heart of flesh, to renew our minds, to renew our kidneys, our core. Then in verse 8, he comes to this. He says, I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Come to the end of my outline, but we still have some verses left and that's where we find our application in verses 9 and 10 and 11. It has been apparent that it is David's chief goal in life to love God and to live for him. So let's notice these final three verses and read them together. Beginning in verse 9, he says, Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's look at these verse by verse. Verse 9. How do we respond to, to God as we have studied through this chapter, these first eight verses? How do we respond to this faithful God who preserves us? Firstly, with worship. With worship. My heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure. Lord, I will lift up Your name. I will glorify Your name. I will give You the praise that You are due. I will sing heartily unto You. Verse 10. Notice it, it says, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Now follow me here. We respond with submission. We respond with submission. This verse here really and truly speaks about the future redemption provided through Christ Jesus. It's about salvation. If you go to the book of Acts, I believe it's chapter, I know it's chapter 2 and somewhere in the teens, 13 or 16, something like that. 
This same verse of Scripture is referenced twice in the book of Acts. Once by the Apostle Peter, once by the Apostle Paul. And in their sermons, in their teachings, they refer to this verse looking back to see the prophecy, to see the promise of Christ. How did they get that out of this verse of Scripture? That you will not abandon my soul or let your Holy One see corruption. If we read that too quickly, we think, well, I'm the Holy One. No, 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 Jesus. Jesus is the Holy One. See, here's the truth. There is a pit reserved for every single one of us. There is a day, there is an appointment. We don't know when it will come. We don't know when it will happen. But look around you, brothers and sisters. You see constantly death and decay. Just this past week, I I, I personally lost four friends to death. It is an appointment. It will come. There is a pit reserved for you. And I'm going to tell you, your flesh will see corruption. Your body will decay just like the North Wilkesboro Speedway almost did. It will crumble. It will break down. You will return back to the earth. That verse, that that reference is not to you and I, to the one who overcame that corruption. The one who never, that corruption never touched him. He died on that cross. He was placed in a borrowed tomb, but his flesh never corrupted. It's because of that that David can say, Lord, you will not abandon my soul. I have trusted in the Lord. I am trusting in the promise of the Messiah to come. And because of that, I won't see, I won't see spiritual corruption. I may corrupt physically in a grave, You will not abandon my soul because my Lord has overcome. He now holds the the keys to death and hell and the grave. How do we receive Christ's gift of salvation? Well, we repent and we believe. To trust Christ is to bend the knee as a subject would before a king in days of old. To bend before Him and say, you are the sovereign of my life. You are my King. You are my Master. That's how we receive Christ. That's how we come to Christ. Submission. So verse 10, I believe, speaks of submission. We respond. We trust in God's promise and we kneel before the King of kings, the Holy One whose flesh does not see corruption. Submit. This is Piper here in an article that he wrote about this section of Scripture. He says, this is the preservation David asked for. When he said, preserve me, O God, ultimately he meant, do not let me be lost in death. Don't let me be shaken from the realm of the living. Keep me body and soul forever. And the key to seeing this is noticing the therefore at the beginning of 16.9 and the for at the beginning of 16.10. He goes on to write, this means that the joy of verse 9 is based on the confidence of verse 8, and it's also based on the confidence of verse 10, which tells us specifically what the confidence of verse 8 is. You won't abandon me to Sheol, to death, and you won't let my flesh see corruption. This is the preservation David wanted in verse 1, and the one he is confident he will have in verse 8. 
David is sure that all God has been for him, refuge, treasure, sovereign, counselor, that He will be that for him forever, that death will not be the end of his relationship with God. Death will not cancel out all that he has known and loved about his God. Thanks be to God. We respond with worship. We respond with submission. What is the result? Verse 11. Wisdom and joy. Read that with me. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God will bring you body and soul through life and through death to full and everlasting joy as you trust His attributes and as you abide Thomas Brooks that once wrote, and I, I have clung to this statement in recent days. He wrote, Hope can see heaven through the thickest clouds. Hope can see heaven through the thickest clouds. Do you have that hope, that confidence that King David did? This is a psalm of confidence, no doubt but also a psalm about salvation, about our future inheritance and the glory that awaits us. And the question we must answer today is, do I have that confidence? Do I know that is my own? Can I say with King David, you are my portion. You are my beautiful inheritance. Preserve me, O God. I cling to you. Cling tightly to me. I trusted in Christ alone. Because whether you realize it or not, He is your only hope. Life and death. The grass withers. The flower fades. The word of our Lord endures forever. Amen. Lord, we love you. We need you. We need your word to form us and to renew our minds. We need your spirit to guide us, to sanctify us. We need to be reminded of the gospel and the hope that we have in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your preserving grace in our lives. For the blessing to know that even when we feel abandoned, we are not abandoned. We are not alone. But I pray that we would say like David, Lord, preserve me. You're my refuge. That we would say, You are my Lord. You are my Sovereign. That we would cry out and say, Lord, You are the supreme treasure of my life. That there is nothing I desire besides You. There is nothing that will, that will bless me the way You will. I'm not looking for material blessings. I'm not looking for handouts. I'm not looking for what you can give me. You are the good I need. You are the good I desire. There is no good apart from you. Cry out and say, you're my supreme treasure. Or may we cry out and say, you are my source of wisdom. Thank you for your counsel. We thank you. 
for your instruction in our lives. And our, our duty now is to respond to that counsel, to respond to that instruction, to respond to the faithfulness of God. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people of worship, people of, of submission, that we would submit to the Holy One whose flesh saw no corruption. We would be granted wisdom. We would be granted joy. For you are our only hope in life and death. I pray that we would know that in a confident way, an unshakable way. Christ alone. It is in the name of Jesus Christ we pray and ask these things, God's people.